Welcome to Soft Issues on Tour. From the most important subject of how you take your tea to cyclocross, the current industry fad for flared gravel bars, and training for triathlon and Ironman while also holding down a 60-hour-a-week desk job, Matt and Way talk to bike fit royalty Jimmy Wilson and Chris Banayodo. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the Soft Issues podcast. And today we are on tour. On tour. On tour. In esteemed. Well, the Royal Borough of Kingston upon Thames. Yeah, Royal. Are we amongst royalty? No. Bikefit royalty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> subjective. Yeah, we've yeah. just got a room for the bike fitters again, which is unusual, but. Um, yeah, I guess we should introduce everyone. <laughs> so uh, we've got Jimmy Wilson from CycleFit. Hello. And Chris Patagnotti. That was right? close enough. Yeah, yeah, close. That's it. Chris, Chris Pye. Pye. That's fine. Chris Pye? Yep. Chris Pye. Chris Pye? Chris All Pye. Right. We'll stick with that. <laughs> from Cycling Performance, who's uh, graciously hosting us. And uh, who have we got in the corner? Matt. The miserable northerner. Yeah. Actually, we're, are we... No, two northerners. Two northerners, yeah. Uh, plastic northerners. Plastic, I think, by now, yeah. yeah. Been up there for ages. Yeah. What tea do you drink? Do you drink tea? tea? Uh, I do drink tea, but I'm not really fussy, so I can't be a northerner. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's having a little fit in the corner. <laughs> can't be a round bag, can't be a triangle bag. Yeah. Oh, that's the... be square. Yorkshire tea, though. Yeah. yeah Those are the rules. Yeah. It's quite a small space in here, though. Is it a small space to be in with another northerner who's not really a northerner? It's all right. I think we manage. We'll You're opposite ends. We'll so. we yeah, we're literally sat opposite ends of the <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, what should we talk about? Should we talk about cyclocross? Cyclocross, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, tis the season. Mm-hmm. And are you riding cyclocross this uh, no, I'm probably not going to. I, uh, it's my probably uh, well, it's my second season off, just because the uh, now that I'm 50, my race is at a stupid time in the afternoon, which I can't make. <laughs> <which> I can't <laughs> make. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to have to rethink, possibly find a different league to do or something. Do you uh, is that super fair? Or is it just uh, fair? No, it's just about 50. They call it so bet 50 and bet 60 and above are all in the same race oh. late in the afternoon. Just before the seniors, and mm. um, vet forty was at half eleven, I think, which is much more, much easier to get to. But um, yeah, so uh, it's ageism in action, I think probably. Yeah, and what happens if you want to take your kids to the the kids race? That's like that happens first yeah, thing. So. Yeah, I think you just have to wait until they're a bit older, and then you can take them, let them race, and then just leave them on their own while you race. <laughs> but, uh, then how it works? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. You doing any racing, Chris? Uh, it's like yeah, racing. I'm taking part. Taking part. Taking part. You did yeah. one last week. No, I bailed last week because I couldn't be bothered buying mud tires. <laughs> they're really expensive. Have you done any? Uh, I've done three. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is when you start later in the season, then you get gridded further back. So I was in the thirties and then had to ride through. But got through to like tenth and eighth and stuff in the first. Three. Randomly, don't they take your three previous? Oh, I had a shocker last year. So oh, did you? Right. One of them I had a GoPro on, and uh, and the marshal told me to take it off. Oh yeah. yeah. And then I'd done it with a screwdriver, so uh, I had to run back to the pits, and then they started the race without me. So, <laughs> so 
I was like, well, I should have learned on that one, shouldn't I? Um, didn't ride through to 10, so that's fine. But um, yeah, it's hard. It's like uh, Vet 40s, I always expected it was going to be uh, a bit slower, a bit easier. And, uh, and it's even more stacked. Like, I'd be coming higher up in the seniors, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Super fit people with lots yeah. of spare time to train. Yeah, we see it at the crits at the Vela Park all the time. You go to the, the 40s, like the Vets race, and it's absolutely stacked. Like, mm -hmm. people are absolutely bombing around. And everyone's got like a Colnago or Canarillo or something <laughs> ridiculous. Like, just absolutely smashing their way around. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, probably the, I don't know, maybe it is the most competitive uh, category. I think people have got a lot of experience with racing as well. So technically, they're at a much better level as well. You know, when you start off in cross, what I found is it's such a steep learning curve yeah. in terms of your bike handling. It's, yeah. it's probably about two or three times you go around the corner and touch your front brake. And then once you're picking yourself back up off the floor, you realise <laughs> that's not the brake you touch. So um, all these technical elements that kind of take a little while to develop sort of just come with a bit of time, a bit of experience. And you're finding the older guys actually are pretty good at like bunny hopping, clipping in, dismounting, remounting, uh, and can just handle like all conditions off camber, this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you say you're a more efficient cyclist then now that uh, you've reached veteran status? I think I think so. Just get a little bit more kind of uh, sensible in some ways, but yeah, more probably <laughs> efficient. Probably a good word for it because you don't I'm waste you don't waste energy yeah. as much. Yeah, um, yeah, and you 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 have a, an understanding of what's possible <laughs> during, during the race. So technically, and, you know, physically, um, and yeah, and equally, what's not worth attempting because it'll end badly. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah, more efficient. More efficient. Do you do more running? Uh, not really, no, no. I did. I mean, no. It's, or less it's running, maybe. Well, it's, it's rare. Running. It's rare that you have to run much anyway in a in a in a London League race, mm. really, unless it's late season because it doesn't really get wet now until mm. December. When you say that, it's like the last couple of races have been an absolute quagmire. Have they? Yeah, because we've had such a huge amount of rain in a short period mm. of time. Mm. And then it gets churned up with the first few races. Yeah. So. Or muddy hell in uh, at mm. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah. And it's a real yeah. Yeah. Mud well, well, it lived up to its name, which is great. Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah. Um, and on a, oh, what's that bike over there? Is that yours? Chris, that riding. It is, so, yep, yep, that's my little gravel gravel bike. I have actually used that on a cross bike because uh, my bottom bracket seized on my cross bike. <laughs> um, it did well actually, it did well during the summer cross, which is a great fun series if yeah, people yeah. haven't taken part in. Yeah. So you got a specific cross bike for cross racing? Definitely, yeah. So, so I think the same as Jimmy now. Uh, I've got Trek Boon, which is it's kind of a little bit restricted off outside of cross racing because you can only yeah. fit something like a 34, 35 on the yeah. rear. Um, and the mud clearance is pretty pants when it gets really bad, but it's a, it's a heck of a bike, really light, really responsive. Yeah. Mm. Does it does it matter, like kind of riding cross? Like we get that question all the time, like should I buy a cross bike? Should I buy a gravel bike? What's the difference? And well, actually it's, it's kind of difficult to buy a cross bike these days. Mm. Apart from, like, there's not that many people that make specific cross bikes no. mm -hmm. um, I think well the main thing is I guess it's tire, tire clearance like Chris has just said tire clearance you can get much fatter tires on a gravel bike which helps with grip generally and lower pressures um, but then there's something I think there's something quite nice about riding a more dare I say traditional cross yeah. bike in some yeah. ways 
Um, it seems a bit more of a challenge to ride around on really skinny tires and inappropriate equipment rather yeah, than making yeah, it too yeah. easy for yourself. Yeah. Uh, but then when everyone else is riding, you know, making it easier for themselves, then it puts you at a disadvantage, I suppose. Yeah. I guess there's some quite distinctive geometrical differences mm. as well between yeah, a thoroughbred cross bike yeah. and, a, and a gravel bike as well. So then yeah. I, you know, James just want to talk listeners through some of those differences and if they are debating between a cross bike and a gravel bike, what some of the things that to look out for in terms of geometry handling and what the how that's going to in, impact their ride regardless of what they do. Yeah, uh, gravel bikes generally tend to be a bit longer, longer wheelbase, longer chainstay, um, and a lower bottom bracket generally as well. So they kind of they they, they lend themselves, I think, slightly better to uh, longer distances. I think, uh, and you know, kind of more constant terrain, some more maybe undulating terrain, bridleway, you know, uh, canal towpath kind of terrain. Whereas cross bikes are a little bit more, uh, a little bit shorter, higher bottom bracket. Um, Presumably for better clearance over obstacles, but I've never quite worked out why you know you want that. <laughs> um, and but it tends to be a bit more nimble, I suppose, and closer to a road position um, in 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 many ways. I think um, so. You'd probably be happier on a longer ride on a gravel bike because it's just easier to get on with. But a a cross bike tends to be more specific to that shorter, harder effort where handling and uh, and you know the, the nimble nature of the bike is more important i mean you say shorter races but we've both taken part in the old uh, three peaks challenge oh three peaks yeah fun. yeah that's an interesting one because it because you're you're not allowed to ride anything that isn't a cross bike for the three peaks still so 35c tires maximum no flared bars no suspension um and <clears throat> it's probably the terrain where you would get the most benefit from having something that wasn't a cross bike and um, apart from you know, when you're kind of carrying it up the hill well so it's a running race isn't it it's it a, is yeah it's a just a fell race, fell race yeah, with yeah. some riding in between yeah. Yeah. yeah although when you're descending down penny again it's uh, it's pretty hairy yeah because even with tubeless you can't run them low because the rocks are so big mm. Mm. Like the risk of just flatting and the amount of people you see just by the side of the road just yeah. repairing tires and punctures is just ridiculous so you're running your tubeless at 40 psi and getting your bones shaken to pieces. You can barely see what's happening in front of you because the road's shaking so mm. much. But I think that's part of the type A fun, right? Yeah. Well, as you said, uh, part of the cyclocross fun is the inappropriateness of the equipment. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just trying to make do with with that situation. And uh, yeah, and didn't uh, Nick Craig win it on a flat bar? Yeah, when it was allowed, yeah, it's not allowed anymore. Um, so you're not, you're no longer. You were allowed to change bikes at will as well. So people were using a, a super light bike just to carry up to the top, and then swapping bikes at the top, and then they were swapping to a TT bike for the road sections. Um, so yeah, just you know, multiple, multiple <laughs> bike changes. But now you have to use the same bike from start to finish, unless you break it, in which case you can change it. But you're only, only allowed to change it in two at two points now. Um, which is a, which is a change as well, but it just makes it a little bit. I, I guess it, everyone's on, it's more level playing field, so it doesn't matter if you've got eight bikes. You're still only allowed to use one. Yeah. But, do you think cyclocross is still like popular? Do you think people still want to do it? I feel like it, it, something's I changed. Think, I think something has changed. I think yeah. We, uh, it, I think there are fewer. I think there was a peak just before COVID. I think there was a peak where. There were upwards of 100 people in the Vet 40 category on some races. So you could have, you know, three or 400 people racing on, on, on a Sunday. 
Um, whereas now, I, I, I think it's a, quite a lot less than that. And certainly when I'm in my first season in whenever it was 2005, there were barely 100 people across all categories and everyone raced yeah. together. So there were no separate races, it was just one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, yeah, I guess it, it kind of peaked and I think it is dropping off a little bit now. But that's gravel. I think it's gravel. It's probably mm-hmm. popularity of gravel. Yeah. I think you're getting the development of like little gravel communities. Mm-hmm. So big shout out to um, the Giro gravel crew who mm. uh, all ride because yeah. Giro Cafe. It's just a huge amount of like riders go out and like Saturdays, Sundays, Thursdays they do organised rides and and so you're getting those formation of or subdivisions of even groups yeah. like some fast road groups in London have actually got like offshoots of gravel groups mm-hmm. and they do fast yeah. gravel now. So it's it's almost like you, you're catering for the off-road element, which is what mm. I think people might have been chasing. Mm. Um, and, you know, when you've got to drive an hour to a race, to race for 45 minutes to drive an hour back and mm. then spend an hour cleaning your bike, yeah. uh, mm. the idea of going outside your front door and riding for three hours and having a spare hour is like, to me, that's, that's gold. Yeah. Yeah, it was beautiful. I mean, I rode through Richmond Park and did the off-road route, and it was it was beautiful. There's like nobody on it. Like, mm-hmm. It's like hundreds of people tearing around the park mm-hmm. on the road. You got the off-road route. There's nobody on there. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I totally get it. And I think the the, the gravel scene is only going to get bigger as people find more and more uh, kind of off-road routes to ride and just that kind of freedom. I think. It, it kind of um, yeah, cycling is all about freedom and getting out and like having some fun and so on. And with the roads getting a little bit more precarious, shall we say, mm-hmm. then the off road seems to be the, the place where everyone's finding their mm-hmm. enjoyment. I think um, touching back on you know your your question about popularity of it, I mm-hmm. think media um, has has helped massively in the. Uh, one of my favourite riders, whether you love him or not, Tom Peacock, you know, just his exposure yeah. to, of people to cross is, it's, um, I think it has increased popularity of people wanting to cross race and take part and actually not really be bothered about where they come. It's just, once you're out there, it's just you and the bike and you, you know, you're not drafting anyone. It's, it's just down to you. So it's, That's one of the advantages, I suppose, or the, one of the things that makes racing cross more accessible and more enjoyable than racing on the road for a lot of people is that you know if you race on the road and you get dropped after five minutes then you might as well stop there's no point Mm -hmm. but cross it all spreads out so you're having your own race within a race yeah it's only the first whatever 10-15 people through the first corner who are going to you know uh, actually compete for a top 10 place Mm -hmm. but there's still battles going on much further back which you you know you come back to week after week, don't you? Yeah. Always racing the same people. Yeah, you get those mini packs forming, yeah. so you have a battle within four or six riders, and oh, it's just great fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it very much becomes about you and that battle that you you can have. And so maybe it's a maybe a healthier mindset in some ways, rather mm-hmm. than always thinking about like, well, what can I do to kind of win the race, as it were. You just do do the best. Yeah, thing. it's a lot more about taking part, whereas yeah, road racing is pretty soul destroying if you're not at the front it's <laughs> yeah. well, basically an arms race now isn't it it, it is like, yeah, yeah increasing. You know, gone are the days of people turning up with a cab 10 yeah. and like you know, unfortunately if you don't have the kit you're going to be out the back yeah. and I think that's where across like you don't necessarily appeals mm. to a lot of people there's the community aspect as well you're racing the same three or four people within yeah. the race mm-hmm. you see them week after week and you know you become become friends and there's a there's a community that's that cross kind of you know fosters as well which mm. you don't 
get quite so much. In, you don't uh, get it at all. Really, no, it's it's no, much no. more of a meeting as well across mm-hmm. race because yeah. you know there are there are people. Uh, you know, different generations potentially racing on yeah. the same day, you know, and, and it is more of a kind of, you know, there's a, almost like an event village all, all, you know, every time, whereas, you know, road racing isn't like, <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Isn't like that at all. Yeah. Couldn't be more different from that, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it is more of a day out, isn't it, than a... Yeah, it's more like racing where yeah. you turn up and there's a kids if you, race. And... If, you're wa- yeah, if you're watching a cross race as well, you get to see whoever you're watching probably five or six times, whereas, yeah. you know, road race, you might see them once or twice. Yeah. So I think it is a bit more enjoyable for everyone, really. Yeah, I think it was back in 2012 um, that it turned up to a cross race, and I think it was at Gunpowder Park, uh, just to, to watch. And yeah. the shop I was working at then were giving like some prizes, so I was kind of there as a representative. And um, I remember, I think it was like the, I don't even know how old he is now, it must have been like the under 10s or under 12 race or something. And uh, no idea if the, the kids are in the race. And there was this kid just miles up the road, and I was just like, he is one talented individual, like bike handling, he was just on a different level. And it turns out it was Ben Tullet. And so you're getting all these kids that are honing their craft and mm-hmm. it's giving them this like exposure to racing at a very early age. Um, and then they're, they're getting some success, so it motivates them. And then the parents are just almost happy to support them. But it, it just allows them to kind of develop as a rider, regardless of their age as well. Because, you know, kids just develop at such a different rate that, you know, one year they might be getting smashed because someone's had a growth spurt and then all of a sudden it starts to become apparent who the talented riders are physiologically and technically. So I think it's it's such an important scene to keep alive because kids on road, I mean, you're not going to do it during winter, but given the ability to learn how to handle a bike in all conditions, race well, develop anaerobic, anaerobic qualities, Mm. and, uh, and you're setting that kid up for... A great experience later in life. Yeah. Well, Pig Pigcott's a great example as well. Just coming from an off-road kind of background mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. translating that uh, skill onto onto the road, and you can see his descending kind of prowess. Just absolutely. He's all right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's all right. But yeah, I don't know. Is your daughter racing cross, Jimmy? Not yet. No. No. She's. Uh, I think. I think I have to be seven. I think before the yeah. the first race they do. But she uh, she'd be up for it. Yeah, she likes the uh, she likes the whole experience. She enjoyed going to the races. Yeah. Um. She's got a little mountain bike, so she can probably at some point. I mean, she's not like technically brilliant yet, but <laughs> a work in progress. But she really enjoys it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the main thing for kids, aren't they? Like. Um, yeah. 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 I took my daughter out. Well, like I was saying before, you know, we rode we rode to Hampton Court, and the yeah. the enjoyable bit was the two ice creams. We <laughs> What, for you or her? Well, each. <laughs> well, the enjoyable bit about this podcast was the donuts beforehand. You're welcome. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're not just any donuts, are they? They're, uh... Should we give a shout out to see if we can get some free donuts? Uh, Urban Legend, you nailed it. Less fat, less sugar, less calories. Hashtag. The ironic donut. Yeah, I'm going to eat something that's low in calories, so I'll have a donut. <laughs> it's like not quite feeding the mindset. That Could have got some fruit, but. Does that mean you can just have more? I think so. That's the idea, isn't it? Yeah. Was it yeah. apple donut, wasn't it? It was good, wasn't it? It's got fruit in it. It was very tasty. 25 a day? Yep. Champion, exactly. that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, cross. And how's uh, cross working out for you in terms of Ironman training then, Chris? You've, uh, it's a completely... Um, 
pointless mode of training for, <laughs> for Ironman, but it's about keeping motivation high, right? Yeah, don't tell your clients that, right? <laughs> no, I never tell my clients to go on a race cross. I'm like, that's a terrible idea. Get <laughs> on your turbo, do some Zwift and get fit. Um, no, just the physiological demands are so like polar opposites. You know, you need to be a steady state, high-end zone two athlete to, to be successful for Ironman. And, uh, and then we'll go to cross on the other end, which is basically you get to do zone two and you're descending down a hill and that's about it. And then everything else is like on the gas, 100% above threshold, yeah. pretty grim. 45 minutes to an hour of just absolute on. It's great fun looking at power files actually and being a bit of a geek and just like looking at normalized versus average. And usually it's like mm. a huge variance, something like 15 to 25% yeah. difference between average and normalized. So. Right. Although, you know, your average power might be lower, your actual physiological cost is going to be pretty great. And generally, I wake up on a Tuesday morning and it feels like I've been run over by a bus, mm. uh, just in terms of the consequence of actually racing. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if you used to find that, whether it was the day after or two days after. Yeah, the day, well, yeah, I used, I used to feel just about okay by Wednesday. So, yeah, <laughs> I would feel probably worst on uh, Tuesday yeah. after a cross race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but the... the um, do, do you get, have you ever had anyone, any of you, anyone, had anyone come in specifically for a cyclocross fit? We did actually, didn't we? Yeah. That, there was a chap who had a really cool Ridley X night. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he was like, all he was doing was, all he wanted to do was race cross. Mm. That, was a, that was a fun four hours, wasn't it? Yeah. But it, it's pretty rare. Um, mm. Usually it's, it's an afterthought or a second bike or yeah, something yeah. like that mm -hmm. after they've bought a road bike or they use their road bike position to kind of reference a cyclocross position mm -hmm. and so on. So, uh, would you routinely do anything different if you were setting up for a cross fit? Are there any specific things you would change? Um, what's really interesting about our setup at the moment is that we've got the opportunity to actually watch them ride mm. outside, which is really, like that, that's changed loads of things for us in terms of fitting um, and seeing how people can actually handle their bike on the on the trails so that's been quite nice um done done more mountain bike fitting than ever before um since we've had access to that which is really nice and so you might make a few little tweaks here and there based on what you see or how confident someone can be how tense they are when riding outside and ideally i'd love to do that with everyone just to see you know can they apply the skill that they have to, you know, the position, maintain that position, will they um, be supple and smooth when they're riding outside? Can they control the bike? Um, and you could you could spend a whole day <laughs> doing that really, but you know, you've got to make it practical at the same time. Mm. Um, but generally speaking, I think for cyclocross, yeah, maybe um, in really general terms, maybe making, the reach a little bit shorter, maybe handbars a little bit higher, bring the saddle in a little bit, like further forward. So maybe they're slightly lower, but center gravity is a little bit further forward, just so that they can move around the bike a little bit more um, for those situations when they're off-road and negotiating the off-camber or kind of mm -hmm. jumping on and off, things like that. Um, and maybe some unusual things to think about, like saddle selection, mm -hmm. where you're having to get on and off the bike. Yeah. Then what saddle you have can help or hinder that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Some saddles just don't work at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I I usually ride like a SMP saddle on the road. Yeah. I, I just cannot. You can't do that. I can't yeah. do that. I was like, I've just. You wouldn't be allowed to enter the race. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people who do ride like SMPs with, with everything. I think probably Chris Beals probably rides. SMPs. He probably does, yeah. 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 But <laughs> shout out to Chris. <laughs> but, um, but you'd actually have to stop. And climb on rather than <laughs> <laughs> rather than jump on. Yeah, the the flying leap mm. onto your saddle does not seem like a. It's way, way too risky. Yeah, it'll be very precise. Very very <laughs> precise. <yeah. laughs> I don't think cyclocross is very precise. So no, not, no not, not at all. Flopping, point and shoot. Yeah. <laughs> so or you're going to be doing a lot of running. You'd probably run, wouldn't you, Matt? Most of it. I'd be quicker. Uh, but yeah how about you guys would you make any specific or do you do you fit specifically for cyclocross or have you had anyone rarely get asked really but I mean it's it's just gravel now isn't Mm -hmm. it really and and a lot of gravel fits would be people who'd already had a road fit so you can you know you can translate most of the positional stuff straight to a a gravel setup really Mm -hmm. with a like you were saying before, maybe just make it a little bit more potentially a little bit shorter, a bit more, bit, bit more upright, maybe, but not necessarily because yeah. you want yeah. the ability to ride for a, you know quite a, a lot of the time on the drops on a on a on a gravel bike. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, ready, ready, get asked for a cyclocross spe- specific fit, um, but you might. Well, we often get asked for a gravel specific setup. Yeah, and certainly in terms of bike sales, we we sell n- no cross bikes. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. lots of lots of gravel bikes. Yeah. I think you're just trying to keep the same elements. So you're trying to maintain. Well, once you factor in maybe a shorter crank length, uh, you know, you're trying to keep that same middle of the saddle to middle of the bottom bracket. Mm. Um, effectively, either back of the saddle or nose of the saddle, depending on how you measure to the back of the hood, so that reach is the same. Because body mm. posture should should look pretty much identical, but the orientation of the rider might change a little bit in terms of whether they're a little bit more forward rotated or back rotated, depending on whether it's a bit lower at the front end or higher at the front end. Um, and then, yeah, bar width, I don't know, I, I, I'm gonna go out there and upset a lot of people and I absolutely hate flared bars. I think they'll be sh- thrown in the bin all at the same time and burned, and then we should actually accept a road bar uh, gives a much better wrist posture. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna step back one step. Not all of them, because there's some that the road position or, or the upper mount position isn't flared, and the lower's flared. And I think that is acceptable. A fully flared uh, mash-up wrist position is is not good. Mm-hmm. I was gonna ask about gravel bars and what you just thought about that, but yeah, you you beat me to it. It just doesn't work. I don't. I don't. Maybe practically it does for maybe steep descents or some or something, but it's just not. It's just it's just flawed. I think from you know, as Chris was saying, in terms of wrist position, it doesn't really work out that well. And and in terms of being able to actually use the brakes effectively as well, I'm not sure if it's optimal. Um, I think that one of the things I was thinking about actually um, before I came in today was the the remember Shimano had those sub levers mm. and they've gone, yeah. crossed, died of death. Crossed, yeah. 
So why? Because that's the best thing that ever happened to uh, cyclocross bikes for the three peaks was was yeah, levers on the tops because yeah. it, it changes everything. You can yeah. you know you can descend bits that you could never descend before because you can get your weight so far back. But it's gone for gravel bikes. But I think that's much more mm. practical in terms of a good descending mm. position with you know the ability to break than a flared bar for yeah. sure. But where where have they gone? Yeah, I think I've got a theory. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Jimmy. Well, it's bar bags. Oh. Exactly. It is bar exactly. Bags. It is that. And that's why flared bars yeah, are so popular. Yeah, yeah. That bar, bags. bar bag with nondescript contents, or you know, maybe nothing in it. I don't know what people put in these things. Jimmy's but, pointing at my <laughs> bar bag. That, that, that trumps the, the, the ability to be able to break efficiently on the descent. You know, that's, uh, this is yeah. true. But I mean, they, they did make. Um, when hydraulics, um, hydraulic braking came out for road bikes, they mm. did make like a compatible. Cross yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. The, the yeah. Cross hydraulic sublevers, yeah, the Shimano ones. But not not available at all. Now. I, I, I can't see them anymore. I don't think they're I, well. I might, I might be wrong, but I haven't seen them on a bike for, forever, and I haven't seen them on the uh, Madison B to B for for ages. I've got some on my Three Peaks bike, but yeah. they're not widely used. It would still, be a reason. still work with a relatively small bar bag, though, wouldn't it? Because the bar bag uh, would just tuck under. Well, I don't know. I don't Were know. you thinking about the routing of the cable? Yeah, well, and I think it just—I think it's just in completely the wrong place for the. Uh, mm. I don't think you get your. Well, I suppose you could move them outboard quite a bit, so you yeah. can. But then they don't really work that well there. Yeah, yeah. ruin the aesthetic. Really. Yeah. What you want to do is look really cool, like me, and you want to exactly. get—you want to get a bum bag. <laughs> yeah. Turned up to a race recently, and uh, one of the guys from the Sunday Social was like, "I thought better of you, Chris." And then, uh, and I haven't used it since. I've been so embarrassed. An actual bum bag. I've got a fanny pack. Have you? Yeah, yeah. it's great. I mean, a Ooh, certain company. Rage. Maybe. These days. You can get a lot in them. Like, I did a, a bike packing event, and you just keep your food in there, like stuff you need to get to quickly. And then, so on the front, you have like your sleeping bag or whatever, and then on the back. You've got your snacks and your treats and your bottles and uh, yeah, you just look really cool. What are you laughing at? Are you still going to finish the ride wearing a bum bag? But the point is, you'll finish, <laughs> you'll finish the ride because you've had easy access to yes. your snacks. Yes, this is true. It's like a, it's almost on the same level as a bento box. I mean, you're just taking a dig at the triangle <laughs> or what? So. You haven't got one. No, you haven't got one on your. Yeah, no, it's my California rolls and the Iron Man are going to be off the chain. <laughs> <laughs> when did bar bags become cool? Like, I don't know. It's just become part of the uniform, isn't it? It's a funny thing. There's bar bags on time trial bikes now. What? Is it? Yeah. No, that's wrong. Rolling around Girona, everyone's got a, a bar bag on their time trial bike. What's in it, though? Probably loads of really expensive Morton gels. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Or cinnamon rolls. Yeah, I don't understand. I know which I prefer. I mean, let's take an aero position and then put a master bag at the front. Genius. That's no, time trial bike packing. It's a thing, supposedly. Is it? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just not cool enough to know about this. But surely you'd put it, you'd have a big saddle pack because then the airflow rounds could actually improve the aerodynamics. What was it? Um, actually, a camelback effective or a fluid reservoir on the back improves aerodynamic flow, doesn't it? 
or on the, on the front. Oh, it's on the front. I mean, Sorry. Yeah. They're just about to ban that, aren't they? Just about to ban yeah. it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, loads of people are doing it. In, mm-hmm. uh, so I think it was like um, the governing body for UK time trialing. They're just about to ban it because mm-hmm. everyone's now smashing their 10 and 25 PVs because they've got essentially fairings yeah. on their body. Um, so yeah, another thing that's going to be banned. You'd be fine for your Iron Man though. So I was, I was actually thinking genuinely of getting a custom frame bag that improved the aerodynamics and filled out the frame. Because Speed again, hmm? Speed fill. They did it. Someone already makes it. Yeah. There's a big oh, tank. Man, that was my retirement. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, where you're going, Texas is going to be well humid. Probably you not can't. a bad idea. Um, yeah, I think, uh, unless it's really strong crosswinds, because I'm going to be running a disc. And then that... It's probably going to punish you. I might as well just like set up a sale. But yeah, in triathlon, it's quite funny because there's basically no rules. It's great. Mm. You can do some ridiculous things with bikes and accessories and add-ons and uh, get away with it. Like wearing your time trial helmet the wrong way around. Seen it. It's a good one. (laughs) Unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was you, wasn't it? Come on. Pointy ends faster. (laughs) Tell us what's in the box, Chris. It's in the box. Um, Donuts. Oh, the box underneath. Um, we have that absolutely ridiculous looking POC helmet, the Temple, um, that they've all used on the Tour de France. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, anytime you enter an event, it's just an excuse to spend money, right? So I noticed uh, I needed a time trial helmet in my life. So I thought it's bright orange, so I'll be seen on the course. And I can wear one of those and look like an absolute tool. It's great. Yeah. But putting it on, you can see what it's going to do for body position straight away, tucking into that thoracic spine or upper upper back, and how it's just going to smooth everything over. And then you just got to get used to your little uh, shruggy shoulder position because otherwise it's sort of it's a bit negated. But I guess people tend to often overlook the importance of helmet shape on their time trial positions as well. Any thoughts on that, Chris? As you've been searching for your your POC helmet. Um, well, I mean, mine was orange, and orange is my favourite colour, so that was my main reason for purchasing. Yeah, it's important to note that bike fitters are not immune to all the aesthetic and uh, emotional buying that uh, everyone else does. As not well, all, so. not all. Do you, no. get, do you get people, um, often get people bringing their time trial helmet in? For the set? Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to, really, because mm. you've got to look at what that person's going to be able to achieve, yeah. what their body contours are like as well, mm. spinal position. Mm-hmm. And that's going to dictate whether they need a, can get away with a short tail or a, a long tail. I think it's very rare I've seen a, you know, something like a cask bambino truly be the most efficient yeah. helmet anymore. I don't know. I just think with, with body contours like that, that longer tail just allows a lot more leeway. If you run it, you kind of have to wear like your hat's pointing up towards the side. It's spine. like tilting it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you look like a complete and utter idiot in transition. But when you get on the bike, everyone's like, whoa. And then you get off and they're like, still doing a triathlon. But that's a really good point. It's like, if you've got a big, long, pointy helmet and you cannot keep that helmet in the position it's supposed mm. to be, then potentially a, a safer, shorter tail helmet might be a better option. Is that not, uh, we, come, we were talking about it earlier, weren't we? Like uh, the specifics of uh, distance mm. uh, versus position, you yeah. know? And you kind of have to compensate and, exactly. and put someone into a, a position they can sustain for mm. five, six, seven hours versus a position they can sustain for 25 minutes or something. Yeah. I think I'm more, I, I'm more likely to recommend something that doesn't have a long tail just for that reason, mm. generally. It might be something to do with, you know, the 
clientele that we maybe the yeah. difference between the people who come to see us, but but uh, definitely just uh, you know just in terms of being able to maintain a position, which is which is reasonably good for the for the duration of the of the, mm-hmm. of the bike, um, taking into account that conditions can change. You know, the, the wind direction can change. Oh, well, it will because you know it's not going to be uh, just a point to point bike leg. Uh, so I, I probably would be more likely to recommend that something that wasn't too specific to a particular posture mm-hmm. on the bike, assuming that you know they probably couldn't hold it for. Yep. The duration of the bike. And I think you have to kind of like, yeah, it's like different clientele, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, you know, are, is it rider A willing to go through that period of adaptation and mm. do things off the bike to get that kind of really nice yeah. posture with that long tail helmet that rider B might not mm. be able or willing to do? It's just, yeah, it's so specific. Like yeah, I suppose you, glasses, you, isn't it? you kind of get an idea of whether or not that would be possible for the person having spoken to them for mm-hmm. probably an hour and a half before you actually you know look at them in depth on the mm-hmm. on the bike you get an idea of what people how their minds work I think mm-hmm. yeah I think I've, I've had a bit of a, an anomaly in terms of the people who book in I've had some really quite fast talented riders come through mm-hmm. and they, they're strong they can hold a good position mm-hmm. uh, big shout out to one of the guys that came in he just got a time trial bike never ridden time trial before and he either came second or third at like the, the 12 hour averaging like 40 kilometers an hour and he's just like a 22 year old kid or something I was like man where are these kids getting these legs from that'll hurt in 10 um, years. but he yeah positionally he was just strong he could suck it up and uh he didn't even tell me he was doing that because i don't think it was on the cards he entered it when he got drunk in the, the uh, student union one night uh, so he went from a one hour position, but you know, again, was, was able mobility wise and strength wise to be able to, mm. to hold that position. I think that's our job as kind of bikers, isn't it? Is get to the bottom of what that particular client also wants, but also needs mm-hmm. as well. It's like, where's the middle ground of kind of optimal versus practical? Yeah. Um, no two people are the same, as we know. Mm-hmm. You just got to call it as you see it. Do you think it becomes a good motivator, though, for people? Like, you've got a fancy new helmet, you're going to make it work. I'm going to make it work. It costs yeah. me so much. I'm going to make it work. <laughs> I think, yeah, it can. Yeah, I think I it's, really all, it's all part of it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, you, but I, and I think you kind of, a lot of people will reach a certain level then maybe reward themselves with something that's a little bit, you know, better than they are at that particular point and then work their way up to, you know, so I think it's part of the, it's part of the whole thing, I think, isn't it? Equipment. I think it's, it's a good, a good argument for, you know, people who are new to it not to, buy the best they can get mm-hmm. straight away which is a difficult conversation to have sometimes with someone who's yeah. keen to throw loads of cash at something but you know where do you go once you've you know <laughs> once you've spent all that money you know you, you, I think you have to have you know somewhere to upgrade to um, over time as you improve well, it's kind of what we were talking about about cross you know a little earlier wasn't it it's just like yeah you know get yourself a cross bike whatever that might be like a, you know we're probably all out of kinesis with cantilever brakes mm-hmm. at some point <laughs> Go and crash, you know, for a couple of years. Learn your craft, mm-hmm. and then move on up. And you know, your equipment grows as you as your competence grows. You know, mm-hmm. and it's it's a good motivator. Whereas you know, you go straight in at ten, twelve k on the latest superbike. You've got, like you say, you've got nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's why we see people dropping out of sport after like you know two, three years because it's just oh, it gets boring. Right, on to the next thing. Yep. What's the next mm-hmm. thing I can get my kind of dopamine hit from? You know, and it's, yeah, lose people through lack of longevity that way as well. Mm-hmm. So as I say, like being, you know, 
able and willing to have those difficult conversations as and when you you kind of need to be and it, it goes beyond bike fitting really it's just like mm. right you know we want you to enjoy this as much as possible have you considered xyz all this kind of stuff so yeah it's like you know what we're talking about with jillian um mm. in the last podcast yeah. you know having that emotional intelligence and awareness to kind of communicate with that person that's boring Matt. <laughs> yeah, just buy, just buy yeah. an expensive bike. Just buy an expensive bike. I was having a moment there. <laughs> it, it was. I was, I was very emotive. Yeah. So I was feeling it. I was feeling that. So energy. a lot of people do treat Ironman specifically as something they'll only ever do once. Yeah. Don't they? Yeah. So and in that situation, once you've gleaned that, you know, bit of information, and even even a lot of people say, Oh, well, I'll see what happens after this one, but you can tell, you know, they just yeah. want to cross it off the list and probably never do it again. Yeah. Which is fine. But you know, and then they might as well spend fifteen grand on them. Mm. You know, might as well. Mm. Um but it's kind of like you say, it's getting that it's kind of, you know, extracting that information. Mm. Um and then yeah, and then acting on it, I think, which is the difficult thing sometimes. I mean I'd always say to people like I do take the mic out of triathlon, but I do seem to slip back into it. Because there is something... As a form of pro triathlete. Yeah, I might, it might be a different kind of like entry level when I step back in, but that's a different matter. Um, but I mean, for those who haven't done like a load of triathlons, just stick to the short stuff, right? Because an Ironman training, like, if you really want to kind of nail it, it's going to take over your life, you know? You, you can't blag an Ironman. You can't. Can you? You've got to be doing like... 12, 15 hours of training. Otherwise, that race day is going to be horrendous. Whereas a 70.3, to be honest, you can do an Olympic, you could step up to a 70.3. Yeah. And same with sprint to Olympic. I would never say that anyone who could do a 70.3 could just step up to an Ironman because it's not so much the swim and the bike, I think it's durability on the run. That people's tissue uh, durability and connective tissue stuff just isn't at the level that it needs to be. And um, I think the run is what destroys people like spending if you're running fast you know you're three and a half hours mm. right. if you're running slow could you imagine spending six hours like hitting the floor just just pondering life yeah, choices that, man. that probably what the majority of people who complete an Ironman do isn't it really is yeah, yeah. you're looking at five six hours but that's, isn't, isn't it marketed that way you know it's, it's something anyone can do it's brilliant marketing yeah. but yeah. it's really not something everyone can do because mentally you have to be pretty driven and you kind of have to appreciate you're going to go through some but ups then, and downs during that but race. then that goes back to that idea that a lot of people just treat it as something they'll only ever do once they're just going to get through it and then never have to do it again get a tattoo yeah get a tattoo yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, this is all assuming that you make it to the start line as well Oh, thanks, Matt. <laughs> but that's great, it's great to spend more time with you in a tiny room. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm a realist. What can I say? You are. You are right. Like, um, even racing like pro back in the day, you'd you'd be going into every single event. You'd have some kind of niggle, and it's just. I remember. Um, I grew up in a really bad time for triathlon because, at the age of like fifteen and sixteen, the Brownie brothers were racing against us, and my word, they were absolutely spanking us then and um but i remember there were a couple of races i saw them race and i think it was alistair won it and then he's getting carried off because he was just like stress fracture riddled with injury mm. and it's like so if you think a niggle is kind of where you're getting to the start line those guys are carrying serious injuries 
and it is that point of I just need to make it through this race. I just need to make it through the next race. And and when your life changes around, that is your source of income. Like, mm. and then it's coming, it's crossing over into that thing of pro cycling. You know, if you can't do your job and you can't put food on the table for potentially a family, like you're going to find a means around it, right? You're going to either continue to train injured or you're going to turn to the dark stuff that, that people unfortunately kind of really do have to because it's the only way they're going to be able to continue to do their living. Yeah. I guess th this is the question we ask uh, people who come in to see us all the time is, you know, you can, you can do this, but at what cost? Mm. And, you know, this, this Ironman, you, you're only going to do once. That, that's all well and fine, but do you know what it, you, you need to do and where do you want to be afterwards? So it's kind of like holding up the mirror in many ways and just being like, hey, you know, just to let you know, <laughs> you know, this is going to happen. Um, and those, those are the difficult conversations and maybe more of the hidden side of bike fitting that, you know, I guess we were talking a little bit earlier about how bike fitting becomes or is undervalued. We, you know, it's just this thing that's never really historically or culturally been uh, that valued. Um, not quite sure exactly why. Um, I think everyone's got some got some theories and so on. It's just always so. been assumed that you would get that done before you left the shop, if you see what I mean. So we were saying before, it's like you know, when you bought a new bike, you would. Someone in the shop would kind of hold you up on the bike and check that your knee was a little bit bent when your foot was at the bottom of the pedal stroke, and then you know nod sagely, and then uh, <laughs> and then and then send you on your way. But it was never it was never really an, an event. It was just it just kind of happened in the course of a bike sale. So it's never really been treated as something special or mm. you know something that requires you know any particular amount of skill or. Um, well, investment, isn't it, really? Yeah. In, in yeah, terms yeah. of time and, you know, both on the part of the fitter and the rider. Yeah, yeah. But, but maybe just because we just didn't know or, you know, it, everyone got away with it for such a long time mm. that they didn't really realise that they, they could have been better or, you know, they, they really needed this kind of bike fit. Um, That's exactly where I was. I didn't have a fit when I was racing pro. Mm. Got one afterwards. What, what did you? What were you doing? Yeah. What were you doing? And um, I remember going into Jimmy actually, and Jimmy helped with the TT position. But I was constrained with sponsor stuff in terms mm. of being able to get the position, yeah. so mm. we couldn't get the saddle far forward enough. Um, so just because the bike geometry wouldn't allow it, or yeah, it just didn't. It had like almost such a. It had a, a setback to the seat post right. on a TT bike, and no ability to reverse to that mount. that mount. Mm. You know, it was kind of. 2010 yeah. sort of time. We still get that though. We still get that a lot with, with bikes that are marketed as triathlon bikes that are basically road TT bikes, so you, you mm. can't get the saddle anywhere near far enough forward. I mean, yeah, just touching on that, it's kind of the UCI limitation is five centimeters of nose to the bottom bracket, in, in, as far as I can remember. So, but triathlon, you could have it as plus two, you know, mm. you, you could have it wherever you want. and. Uh, it, it really does allow you to get a better position being able to run that saddle further forward because it opens your hips. It, it allows you to create hip flexion or knee 
knee to chest movement, which then loads the glute, which then allows you to utilize the glute, mm. you know? And if you're really off the back of the bike, you find the pedaling action is very quad dominant. Mm. And you actually want to orientate that person a little bit further forward on the bike most of the time, because it allows them to open hip, engage glute, as well as being able to use those quads to drive, mm. you know? And it's why you see when you watch a time trial in all the pro races, and they're just shoveling, shuffling forward all that saddle is wedged so far up their posterior. Mm. And then they kind of edge themselves back to create stability of the pelvis. Mm. And then they just end up, sh sh you know, forward. moving forward. Yeah. And I, I think it's a bit of an antiquated um, limitation on position, uh, really. Because if they just allowed them to move further forward, you'd probably find that rider's body position would be exactly the same, but they'd mm. just be able to stabilize their hips better. Well, they're probably just taking the uh, cyclocross mantra of inappropriate bikes, <laughs> inappropriate events. Yeah, I mean, they're already going 50 kilometers an hour, aren't they? So heaven knows what they'd achieve if they were in yeah. a like, solid position. Mm. But then I guess it's like, you know, different positions work at different ends of the race, right? You know, you're at the pointy end of the race. You've got good core stability, good pelvic structure and kind of able to create that stable platform, rotate your hips forward all this kind of stuff which allows you to achieve that more forward position you know if you have uh, the chap at the you know as a mid-packer who's working 60 70 hours a week sat at the desk yeah. then yeah might need something different you need to jack that front end up a bit set him a little bit further back to achieve the same thing mm. in terms of opening their hip but in a more sustainable way yeah and i think it's like you know you sort of were saying chris you were limited by sponsors and kind of equipment and all that kind of stuff when you're not limited and you have kind of choice then that's kind of a, another interesting thing as well it's like you know just mm. because we can and the triathlon i've got a bit of an axe to grind with this but like the triathlon one. the way yeah, one. <laughs> but the way triathlon bikes are marketed that yeah everyone mm. needs yeah. that super slam forward mm. position yeah. well not necessarily yeah and this is why we need adjustment well most most people i see that definitely do not need that low front end position yeah and and the conversation is quite difficult when their expectation of how they're going to look on the bike is is you know completely different to the reality i mean that's usually the case anyway regardless of the rider when you show them themselves on the screen they, they think you know <laughs> it's a dose of reality <laughs> is that me yeah yeah, yeah. but but it, more so with 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 um long distance triathlon i think because they're yeah the the how they think they should look it's very different from the position that's going to transport them from the end of the swim to the start of the run in the best condition possible, which is what it's all about, really. Exactly. Yeah. And I think bike designers need to kind of, you know, maybe do some triathlon. Yeah. yeah just yeah. to, just to yeah. say, right, what are these people who are actually well, buying yeah. our bikes going through and yeah. what do they need? Well, It'll never happen because it's marketing. Yeah. But, but, but you know, if, you, if they can subdivide the TT bike category, like they have done with road bikes and, yeah. you know, off-road bikes and whatever, then, you know, there's, a, there's an opportunity there, you know, in terms of a commercial opportunity there. But it, I think of all the disciplines, that would be the hardest one to convince people that they need a more relaxed yeah. TT bike than, you know, the, the out-and-out no, um, race bike. And then again, it's like, you know, it's those preconceived ideas mm. that people come in to... Certainly, you know, I've had experience of this coming into a studio with a preconceived idea mm. and you're trying to convince people, not convince people, but show them yeah. that maybe that's not the best way forward. And that's yeah. hard. It's really difficult. And that's really yeah. hard. And, and sometimes you have to kind of give up, not give up, but you have to, you have to stop at some point yeah. and say, look, you know, this is, this is where I think you'd be better off because of ABC, you know, and so on. But 
you're obviously not happy with that, you know, particular setup. So let's compromise. Let's go. But but you know, with the caveat that if you do ride in that position for you know, 180k, then all these things are going to happen, and you're going to run slower probably. Um, as long as you make that clear, then I think you, there is a jumping off point you can be kind of content with. Decisions have consequences. Absolutely. But who we look at who we hold in such high regard uh, in in the world of like Ironman, and and we're always looking at those guys and girls that are going like sub eights or eight and a half and the, the world champs and to me the the heroes of the age groupers who are out there for 16 hours yeah. on a course right that that pro athlete is finished in half the time mm. it's going through half as much suffering right and they're already fully trained and this person who's doing 16 hours is as you say working a 40 50 60 hour week and then they're trying to get 10 to 12 hours of training and read an interesting thing the other day about the relative levels of training that you need to do for Ironman to make it comfortable and the time you're going to finish. And, and the quicker you go, the less relative training you've got to do. Well, not, sorry, not the less relative, but the less total hours you'd yeah, have to right. do. So, so the heroes to me are those people who, who can suck it up for 16, 15, 14 hours in whatever heat, whatever temperature they're given. And they, they run across that line and they're the happiest people in the world and they've got their family next to them. Like, to me, that is, that's commitment and that is passion and, mm. and motivation. And, and tell a, tell a top-class athlete, just go out and do that again, same intensity. I'm pretty sure you know what the answer is going to be. <laughs> well, didn't, didn't Phil uh, say in his book, The Midlife Cyclist, he was mm. saying that they, they studied how many hours of training kind of midlifers or like kind of plus 40 athletes or not athletes but amateur athletes were doing and it was far more hours of training than say uh, the equivalent pro mm. cyclist and so you know the, the pro cyclist just has far more recovery time and gets looked after so much better because they don't have a job and they well they, their job is the, the training and they get the massage afterwards and all the mm. recovery food and time and all the rest of it so yeah absolutely the, the, the relative effort that needs to go in to complete an Ironman event for uh, an age group is like far far more but the question then is like does it need to be that way do you need to suffer through the 16 hours you know what, what could you be doing to make your life like easier and are you compromising that uh, efficiency of work and training for, say, that fancy helmet that you just bought? <laughs> or, or does it become, yeah, like going back to that question of motivation, it's like, I want to be a certain way on the bike. Like, what will I do to get there? Mm. I can see on the screen now, Jimmy's showing me on the screen that I am not where I want to be. What am I going to do to get there? Am I just going to buy more stuff or am I going to kind of train my body into a different way or, you know, what, it, what is it, whatever it is? I'd frame that question diff, uh, differently. It's like, what are you willing to do to get there? <laughs> is that with an axe in hand? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The, the axe helps. Yeah. But that's the thing is, it's like, what, what can I do and what am I willing to do are two very different things. Mm. And that's kind of the where the, the rubber really, really meets the road, I reckon. Mm. Yeah. They'd probably be happier just doing cross, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> <Most of them. laughs> or, or something, you know. Is it, is it, I don't know. 
it's a conversation you can try and get into with someone, isn't it? Is it worth, is it worth it? You know, is the goal, is it, is it worth it? Because it's going to be pretty hard and what you might end up with at the end of it might not be what you're expecting. Well, most people who finish, you know, expect this big high and actually end up with a big it's low. It's a massive low. Because the, the dopamine response is elicited in response to striving towards a challenge. So all your training, mm. you're getting your dopamine like, uh, pour out and kind of feel good. And then you complete that event. Unless you have another event to go to, you're going to have a big old crash. So um, I think... Yeah, putting putting all this kind of motivation into a single event is also pretty dangerous because people feel a little bit lost. And as you say, it's almost that okay, I've got a fifteen grand bike, and I've just done an Ironman, and and then they give up. Yeah. And whereas actually, you kind of you're probably living a, a better lifestyle than you've ever lived before. Not that you have to maintain that same lifestyle, but maybe elements of very very good to hold on to. So. If you've done an Ironman, great, just sign up for an Olympic distance or, or a 70.3 because I tell you what, it's a lot less training, a lot more fun. A lot less missed meals as well. Do a 70.3 between breakfast and lunch. Oh, I thought you meant a preparation for keeping the race weight down. <laughs> oh, no. Right, now you're surfing another race weight. Race weight is topic. a topic that is, yeah, let's not get into that today. Mm. No. But yeah, but it's that intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. It's like, why are you actually doing this? Are you... So, anyway, that was about to go on another ramp, but way sooner in the five-minute warning. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the alarm? Yeah. Um, I thought I'd ask you, put you on the spot, Chris, but what's, what's your motivation then for uh, this uh, Ironman? You haven't done an Ironman before. Never done an Ironman. First Ironman? First one, yeah. yeah. Uh, don't know, it was always, uh, it was never very durable as a runner. That basically like ruined my career. Um, so kind of always, I did some 70.3s, but never stepped up to iron. And I thought, I've kind of, like, point in my life, it's, it's, I've sort of got the time to give, and I'm probably not going to have this much time again. So it's kind of thought, well, let's just get it done. And uh, I'll speak to the wife and just say, can I do an Ironman? And she said, yes. And I was like, great. And then, ah, oh, nuts at the same time. But, um, Actually, for me, you just, it, you just got married, didn't you? So, did did you, you just that? get married? Did yeah. you do that before? Did I you did it in the wedding speech. No, I didn't. <laughs> that would have been a terrible wedding speech. So. Um, no, I asked afterwards. And I think it's just, yeah, it just felt like I wanted to give it a go. And I think you have to, as a fitter as well, you almost have to have the experience and insight and understanding mm. and kind of just live it. Otherwise, you can give all the advice in the world, but if you don't have personal experience, then... Mm you're kind of just reading from a textbook and I think that's that's poor understanding. Mm. So, um, so in response to your question, the, the A goal is, is sub nine and a half, the B goal is sub 10 and the C goal is to finish. Um, yeah, I'll let you know how that goes. Yeah. So. Sounds like you can just put it on work expenses then. Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> so based on that, when's your Iron Man, Jimmy? Never going to happen, I'm afraid. No, it just doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. You're not going to be my supporter? No. Oh, okay. Um, well, I'll support you, yeah, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to fly me to Texas. <laughs> you can do the ice creams. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just never, I just, yeah, it's never appealed to me whatsoever. Um, I don't, I mean, I can swim, but I, I, I haven't got the time or inclination to get any good at it. 
and the same with running really you know just whenever I've done any running I've just felt the drop off in like enjoyment enjoyment and performance on the bike mm. um, you know not so much anymore but when I was road racing more I would definitely feel that uh, kind of snappy power disappear quite quickly if I ever did any running um, so no no interest really cool sorry it's all about no, no, don't be sorry it's all about figuring out what uh, what works for you mm. mm-hmm. alright on that note there's still two more bits of donut there no, two more we haven't even asked about you what's oh, your yeah. next event the next event uh, or something you aspire to do can I just resurrect the memory of your first cross race <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed to do that. I think if I look very carefully, I could probably find a photograph of it as well. But you were on a on your uh, what was that? Calf and back. Yeah. yeah, Planet X. And I seem to remember you losing your bike computer somewhere. Yeah. And it was a, it was at Chainhurst Farm in Kent. Yeah, and it was highly entertaining for everyone apart from Wayho, I think. It was an absolute <laughs> obliteration of any ego. It's really funny. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. um, I'm not sure if I uh, wasn't. Uh, I think it was Hearn Hill I threw up at the end. Um, <laughs> oh, it's yeah, the standard thing. Hearn Hill racing. It was just. Um, Happy days. Yeah. That was, it didn't put me off somehow. But I think it was your fault. <laughs> for dragging me around. They don't use that venue anymore, don't think. Yeah. I do also remember seeing you at uh, Mountain Mayhem <laughs> a couple of times, 24-hour mountain bike races. Yeah. Those were dark days. Yeah, I, I did a lot of racing. I was never any good, but I did a lot. <laughs> and just flopping around in the mud, mostly. Um, better than falling off on the road. Mm. But uh, yeah, good it's times. Taking part. I'll see if I can dig out that photo. <laughs> I'm sure I can find it. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Oh, oh, bikes, are, bikes are a mode of transport now for me. You got running, you got. Yeah, running so I'm trying to crack the marathon. Yeah. It's not going well. Mm. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So, probably did race far too much triathlon for a healthy kind of balance of life. So, but I'll never say never. 95% retired, but we'll never say never. But yeah, next yeah. sort of four years or so, trying to crack the marathon, run a decent one. But yeah, I've got to get to a start line first. That's plan A, so yeah, we'll see. But now I'm just quite happy hacking around town on my mountain bike. Happy days. Enough about butts. Good stuff. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Cheers, lads. Um, if we, if people want to find out more about you guys, where can we find you, Jimmy? Cyclefit. Cyclefit. UK. Yeah. yeah. Um, on West Central Street in Bloomsbury. Yeah. Good stuff. And Chris. Uh, I am at cyclingperformance.co.uk and based in Kingston upon Thames. Good stuff. And you're a bike fitter, but also a coach. Triathlon cycling coach. We do VO2 max assessments for running and riding and strength and conditioning coach as well. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, good stuff. We'll uh, catch you on the next pod. All right, cheers. Well, I don't know about you, but I thought that was quite interesting. Follow us on Instagram at Soft Tissues Pod. And as always, thanks for listening. Go ride your bike and join us for the next one. Mm-hmm.